Today on The Black Goat, we talk about talking to strangers. How do you start a conversation with somebody new? And a letter about how PhDs from different countries are viewed on the job market. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Black Goat. My name is Sanjay Srivastava. I'm here with Alexa Tullet and Samin Vizier. And Samin, you're still right side up, but not for much longer, right? <laughs> for another year, but yep, then I'm moving down under. Well, will the Skype windows actually go upside down? I don't know if I've ever <laughs> Skyped with somebody in Australia. That's just a myth. Okay. <laughs> or when, when, I, when I quit Skype with a little, like, Mac like balloon Turn spin in the other direction. direction. <laughs> <laughs> it will be hard to find times to Skype though. It will, know. yeah. It, it's going to be a challenge for the podcast. Fortunately, that's what like a year and a half away, a year. A away. year away, yeah. But it will if I have to Skype at like 10 p.m. Then I could have a beer and I will be much more entertaining. Whereas now we're often skyping when it's morning in California. When don't you often like drink don't. whiskey before we Skype in the morning? No. no <laughs> I feel like there was a period where you were doing that. No, we only, only when we've recorded like at 4 p.m. or something, then I've had okay. like a shot or a beer or something sometimes, like maybe three times. I swear there was but a I time you were morning drinking. It's Listeners, yeah, I remember that too, Sanjay. <laughs> tweet at Black Goat Pod if you remember which episodes <laughs> Mean was morning drinking on. Yeah, so, okay, so it. the thing about like being I morning watch down, Netflix, but I don't morning drink. The, the thing about being upside down, it reminds me of, so we were just in the Netherlands and people would ask me, like, have you been to the Netherlands before? And the answer was technically yes, because I once took a, a van tour when I had a long layover. Mm. And the van tour of Amsterdam took me to a windmill, a tulip farm, a wooden clog making shop and a <laughs> cheese shop, a Gouda cheese shop. So it was like every stereotype, uh, every like foreigner stereotype of the Netherlands was, you know, this uh, uh, this tour. And so like what what would the the what would the version of that for Australia be like? Giant There's spiders. There's like a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> um, Deadly animals else? everywhere you look. Yeah. Um, crocodiles. Well, Australian rules football, I think, is a sport. Well, at least in Melbourne, uh, yeah, that's okay, a sport. Okay. But that, that's not like an outside... Like, people outside the country that's don't true. know. yeah. I feel like it would... Well, if you're my age, it would be, like, guys in outback hats with large knives, uh, <laughs> you know, the crocodile. Alligator or a crocodile, yeah. yeah. Crocodile guy. So what... But tell us, you because you, you've spent some time down there. Like, what, what was your... Embarrassingly little time. <laughs> <laughs> But like no, you were telling you were talking about Sydney. Sydney sounds like a really cool, or sorry, uh, Melbourne. Melbourne yeah. sounds like a really cool city. Yeah, so I've been to Melbourne and Sydney. I'm moving to Melbourne, but my partner lives in Sydney, so I'll spend a lot of time there. And everybody in both cities will tell you that Melbourne is cooler. But as a tourist, I feel like it's easier to see what's cool about Sydney. Like Sydney's beautiful. The weather's great. There's beaches. There's like amazing bridges and the opera house and stuff like that. So it's just very photogenic. Whereas Melbourne, I think, is a cooler place to live, according to what people say. But it's not like as a tourist, it's harder to see that stuff. Also, apparently, Melbourne has amazing coffee, which is completely wasted on me. Um, it's like more <laughs> hipster. That was my feeling about Melbourne. Have you ever had the desire to like cultivate uh, like liking for coffee? It's hard because it makes my palms sweat. It makes my stomach turn upside oh, down. Oh, I see. It's so it's like, not just a taste. I also, thing. and I hate the taste. It's like I, there's a lot of things I'd have to get over to cultivate. 
mm-hmm. like when for I, coffee. When I was in grad school, I had a roommate who uh, like had never drank coffee, and there was this this place right near campus that made these like really delicious lattes and they do like the syrups and everything and and they were like especially good for lattes and she tried one once and she was like this is amazing so she had like four of them (laughs) in one day and it like brought on like a full-blown panic attack and and she never touched coffee again and she had she had like a i probably shouldn't joke too much she had like a pretty terrible experience with it but it was like it was just one of those things where it was like the the it was just so fun I I don't remember it was like a mocha or a hazelnut latte but she had something like that and it's like this is the best thing ever yeah so that could be used I mean no it's not gonna happen I I don't mind you could at least drink decaf but then (laughs) I don't know I feel like the whole (laughs) point of drinking coffee is for its effect I don't know I don't think well, I don't know. I was going to say I don't think I'll ever like coffee for the taste, but I used to feel that way about beer, and I, I grew to like it. Um, so are you going to start, once you move there, saying Melbourne instead of Melbourne? <laughs> I feel like that's that's like... No, I, but I, went, I don't think my accent will change, but I love their expressions. So like, I've been watching the TV show Offspring, which takes place in Melbourne, so I've learned some expressions. Like like to say that someone's really full on means like they're really intense in a like, kind mm-hmm. of negative way. Mm-hmm. I really like that expression. Um, I can't remember the other ones, but there's some good ones. Yeah. That's an interesting phenomenon who, like, when people move from countries with different accents but the same language, who starts to pick up the new accent and who doesn't. I I don't know. uh, It seems like something probably a psycholinguist or someone else has done a dissertation on. or Maybe maybe that's a whole area and I'm ignorant of it. But, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. such an interesting – because some people – sound the same the rest of their lives and, uh, and most other people, people start right? to drift like, most people who live who move as adults i don't know my parents yeah, both know. still have very heavy accents and they i i feel like when i go to places like even when i was in the netherlands or when i'm talking to people with dutch accents i feel like i start to mimic their accent <laughs> immediately <laughs> and i feel that way with other groups too and sometimes it's like yeah a little bit like you know i get myself into like a sketchy sketchy situation <laughs> but i'd I mean, I know that my accent has changed since I've moved to Alabama, but I don't think I have anything close to a southern accent. And so I'm just like, I don't understand yeah. why I don't have a southern accent yet. That's funny. I think, I think there's also a blurry line accent, between the but... accent and the expressions, right? Because like, if you yeah. learn a new expression, I don't know, like cheerio or something. I don't know if people actually <laughs> say that. But then you probably learn it in the accent, right? Because you don't hear it in the in your original accent anyway. Yeah, you know? yeah that's true. Right, yeah. like you and yeah, you would. It, it would be kind of weird to start saying the words, but in your yeah, or or country of origin accent yeah. to be like like I I say you all now, <laughs> you all, all's y'all, <laughs> all of you, yous guys. Oh, that's not gender neutral, but uh, that's that's my New Jersey yous guys. Uses that good. I mean, yeah, I really wanted to switch to y'all, and I sometimes try to. But it has not happened organically for me at all. And instead, I say you guys, and mm. it's no good. Yeah, I feel I feel torn about that. And you yeah, people you... sounds aggressive. Right. Because <laughs> 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 yeah, y'all y'all is very useful. But I, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm I'm crossing some kind of other boundary I shouldn't. And, but then I don't. Yeah, I know. I think that that's you one know. of the reasons that, that it was it hard w- for me was because we like growing up in yeah in Canada like the idea of saying y'all was like. We would make fun of that, yeah. you know? And so now I feel like I'm making fun of people when I say y'all. <laughs> I th- almost think it'd be easier to invent a new word than to try to get people to use a word that they've often heard in a different context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think at some point in my life, I started picking up folks 
uh, yeah. which is not a word I grew up using, but it felt like I was a little bit more comfortable co-opting that than I was y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nothing. I mean, I there's like nothing folks. wrong with y'all, but yeah. So like, hey, folks. Or, yeah. or sometimes I'll just say like, hey, everybody. I mean, I do mates. still say guys. You should just say, hey, mates. Hey, mates. Yeah, that's what you're going to start doing. You're going to start saying I don't, but I don't know. I have to find out if they say the plural. I know they say mate, but I don't know if they use the plural for a group of people. But would you say, like, what are you mates doing? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I have no idea. Maybe they do say that. I'm, gonna, I'm about to go there for four weeks, so I'll, I'll report back. What do you mates think? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Well, we should, should we, we should uh, have James Heathers on and just ask him questions about Australia. You just get. <laughs> I wouldn't understand anything he says. So. <laughs> I just spend more time with him so that I can. That's like the full Australia accent experience. Cause you'll you'll know how to curse in every social context yeah, in Australia. All the, all the slang terms. All the yeah. Cool. Well, should we do our uh, our letter, which is an Australia themed letter? Yes. yes. So this is yeah. This is on theme. And okay. we've just spoken so respectfully about Australia. <laughs> I feel like we just like undermined all our credibility. Like, we, yeah, I know nothing about Australia other than the stereotypes. Sorry. Yeah, we're and now we're about anyway. to give someone advice who's like, well, <laughs> in our defense, somebody apparently wanted our advice about something right. related to Australia. Is, so. Yeah, if you ask for our advice, we'll give it to you. This, this is your fault, letter writer. You, <laughs> you picked us. <laughs> uh. Um, Okay, Dear the Black Goat Brains Trust. This person has a lot of expectations for us. Um, I am an Australian aspiring academic who is weighing up his options for psych grad school in 2020. One, complete my PhD here in Australia, which will take three to four years, or two, move to the US to complete grad school there, knowing that it will take at least five years. Are there benefits to completing grad school in the US for employability? Are there clear benefits for networking? How do hiring committees in the States view people who complete their study overseas, particularly in Australia? Given PhD programs in Australia and Europe are normally shorter than the US, is there an expectation that people from these countries complete more postdocs before getting an academic position? Regards, unsure, antipodean, which is a word that I had to look up the pronunciation of before I read the letter. Um, So yeah, I mean, like we sort of discussed earlier i'm not i'm not sure that i have any specific advice for somebody coming from australia or australia specific advice but i do think there are a couple of things so well one thing that they ask is like if your if your phd program is shorter would you be expected to do or like would it be expected that you would do a postdoc my hunch and you guys could correct me if i'm wrong is that people are looking less at the like duration of your PhD, wouldn't necessarily know that, but they'd be looking at your, you know, at your publications. So I would say like, yeah, there might be, it might be more likely that you would have to do a postdoc, but not because of where you're from, just because if you, if you only do a program that takes say three years, you're probably going to have a shorter CV than somebody who takes five. But actually, because we don't look at that, that might actually make it harder because, so I, I think until I until recently I didn't really realize how much shorter programs in other countries are, That's and so point. I would just look at like the PhD year, and if I was comparing two candidates and one had been out for two or three years and doing a postdoc and one was just finishing a PhD, I might not notice that they actually started their PhD at the same time, and I might expect right. the one who's been out for a few years and has been doing a postdoc to have more publications. So yeah, that's a good point. I think that might 
it's, it might be an unfair thing that we don't yeah. maybe on cvs we shouldn't just say what year we got our phd but what years we were in grads so like when we started and ended or something like that because and some some people do that but it's not standard but that's that's certainly that would be a small signal right you could say phd you know 2015 to 18 or you know whatever right. um uh so it has a start and end date you could also um yeah so i i, I mean the question like how do hiring committees in the states view people who completed their study overseas i i think yeah i think these are things that are like second order effects but i've never been in a situation either in my own department or like talking with people who you know at other institutions in the states where anyone's expressed any like positive or negative view of like just the mere fact of having one's phd from europe or australia or, or you know anywhere else um and so so i don't think i don't think people would say like you can imagine a, a worry might be someone might say oh this person if they were in a a PhD program that's only three years, they didn't get enough training or something like that. But I've never heard someone say that. Um, and I, it's not something easy for me to imagine coming up. I think the issues that, that uh, you folks, I, I almost said you guys. Uh, my mates. <laughs> still catching myself. My, that you, that <laughs> my mates just said. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's sounding sarcastic, but <laughs> and it, I didn't. And I, <laughs> I th but I think that's also like, I, I mean, I think you could, like if somebody said in a cover letter, you know, I, I began my PhD in 2019, finished in 2022, following the usual Australian cycle, and I've been in this postdoc for one year. Like if that just sentence was like, just as part of the, like the introducing myself part of a cover letter, that would get it like visible where people would notice it. And, th and then I think people would adjust. So I think the, the issue that Samin was raising is like, yeah, a lot of I do this too, where I'll 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 calibrate to year of PhD, and and I think that I don't, you know, don't always sort of you know properly do like number of years in PhD program as part of that, and so that would just be a way to like make sure that that's visible, and I I think that would probably address a lot of the concern. I don't know. I mean, another another issue I just know this because I have a colleague who. Um, who's Australian, who, who got his PhD in Australia, is that if you're in clinical, um, and this was someone we hired, uh, um, I think we hired him as a full professor. He, so I hired fairly far along. But if you're in clinical, there are some, and I couldn't tell you now off the top of my head the details, but there are some weird, annoying issues with accreditation and getting sort of being able to like be be board certified in, in the U.S. Um, to get your license, um, depending, at least this came up in Oregon. So that, because of the order in which things happen, I remember it had something to do with, like, they do the internship and finish the dissertation in a different order in Australia, and that's, there was something that was, like, written in the regulations that made that an issue. So that would be, for clinical people, just something to be aware of if you're planning to go to the U.S., and unfortunately, I can't give you detail, but that would be something to to do some research about. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the question about networking? So is there a, a benefit in terms of networking if you do grad school in the US? My hunch is yes, because I mean, assuming that you don't, um, you don't specifically want like a job in Australia or you're open to having jobs in the US, there's just so many more jobs in the US. And I think it's probably easier to get a job in the US if you have spent time in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, also just the density of people active 
in the kinds of circles that matter for getting a job, at least in social personality psych. I mean, Australia has a population of, I think, 17 million, and there's not that many countries around it with a lot of active people publishing in the same journals and things like that. So Mm. you're just physically not as close to as many other labs, as many conferences. Not to say that there aren't other labs and other conferences, but not in the same network and circle that matter for jobs in, say, North America or Europe, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think there is a networking cost unless you're like wealthy enough and like traveling enough to like do a lot of right. flying yeah. around. But. I was thinking that like you might be able to compensate, but yeah, it would probably like maybe there's like online communities and Twitter and stuff like that where you could do some sort of versions yeah. of networking. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of networking happens at conferences. And so if you're flying when to the I, US. When I was um, preparing for my interview for the job in Australia, one of the questions was going to be about like, uh, uh, outreach and so I asked Sanjay for some stats on um, our listeners and we have the highest proportion of listeners per capita in Australia than any other country besides the US at least of the like 15 that I calculated so maybe this is something about like how people in more isolated places use things like podcasts and social media and stuff like that to, to mm-hmm. stay connected I think that that might compensate for some chunk of the harder stuff to do, like going to conferences or visiting other labs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would be interested to that. That's my my impression as an outsider. I'd be interested to hear from Australian academics what their views are on. Which I guess Samin, you'll be in a year <laughs> an Australian academic, but I know you've talked to to more folks there. But yeah, I think the 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 geographic distance feels like it would probably. Be, be an issue but um, I also I know, think yeah. the the number of years thing is a is a big thing to consider and I don't know yet I'll learn more about what it's like to be in a grad program where it's three or four years versus I mean the US isn't just five uh, yeah so the letter writer says at least five but I think it's much more common for it to be six and not uncommon for it to be seven and that's yeah. a really big difference if if in some countries it's capped at four and it's not infrequently only three versus the US where it's six or seven pretty commonly that's i don't know i don't know which is better or worse but i think there are probably real differences and real trade-offs are there is it more common and are there more postdocs in countries that have shorter degree programs i actually don't know this i got the impression that uh that it was much more assumed that people would do postdocs if they want to stay in academia after their phd so like just hearing informal conversations about like someone who's about to graduate and what they're going to do next it seems like the default assumption is that they're going to do a postdoc. I don't know if that means that they're easier to get or more common. I don't know about that. I think they're pretty hard to get there too. Um, And I also, I think that we maybe have talked about this before, um, but is it harder to get a job in a country where you're, where you're not from that country? Like I know that universities have to deal with like visa issues and stuff like that. Is that a disadvantage or are most universities like, you know, like unfazed by that kind of thing? I think implicitly, I think there is an implicit bias or whatever you want to call it against people from other countries, maybe to varying degrees, depending on what the other country is. But I, mm-hmm. uh, at least in the in the U.S., I think there's at least an implicit and maybe an explicit bias against people from other countries. I think a lot of it is just like fear of the unknown or something. Unfamiliarity. Like coming, yeah. yeah. So if you don't know. I, I have not. That's I mean, I'm not 
doubting that that does occur. I, I haven't witnessed that around around me or in committees I've been on. Like when when there've been candidates that have you know gotten their PhDs elsewhere or that are you know currently residing outside the U.S. I've never seen it be an issue. It's it's usually just like we just go straight to the to the record. Yeah, I guess and it depends which country. If it's an English speaking country, I think there might not be any negative stereotype or bias. But I think if it's a not English speaking country, I think there is. I mean, I'm also extrapolating from, like, grad applicants. I've heard some people say, like, really racist and ethnocentric things about applicants for grad school from Mm -hmm. non-English speaking countries. And so it's just hard to believe that wouldn't apply at the job level, too. But maybe it's more about whether it's an English speaking country than whether it's a foreign country. Yeah, I've seen versions of this where, like, people apply and it's not... It's not just that the thing that distinguishes their application is that they're from a different country, but like maybe they're publishing in journals that people haven't necessarily heard of that are more local or something like that. I definitely see a bias against that, but that's yeah. that's a lot of things mushed together. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That that um, I mean, just the fact that people are impressed by journal names, and so if part of being in another part of the world than the U.S. means you're publishing in journals that are better known there than here that could sort of have that kind of second order effect. I could definitely imagine that happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of, that's also something like interdisciplinary candidates face a different version of that, right? And so I guess if you know that these things are possibilities, these are other places where like a cover letter or, you, you know, you can find ways to, I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan of like listing the impact factor of the mm-hmm. journals on your Vita, but that might be like a, a, you know, a time when you do that or when, when you would ask your letter writers to, like, point out that this person, pu- you know, published in, you know, the top journal for this region of the world or whatever, you know, to sort of give that context to, to overcome those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm probably talking in two broad strokes because I could imagine even some exceptions to the English-speaking country generalization. That, like, I probably a candidate in social personality psych from Germany or the Netherlands yeah. probably wouldn't have much more of a bias against them than someone from England or Canada or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like from South Korea, I think they would from, you know, some mm-hmm. other countries like I'm like, I could be wrong. It would be nice if I was wrong. But anyway, we're getting we're pretty far from yeah. what the letter writer asked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Did well, we answer? Uh, I, I, feel I like think we did. so. Yeah. We, yeah. we addressed <laughs> most yeah. of the letter. <laughs> we, had, we attempted <laughs> Once again, your fault for asking us. (laughs) No, seriously, I I hope this is helpful. I hope our perspective is helpful. And we should we should encourage our readers to yeah, like answer on Twitter or something. Since we do have a lot of Australian listeners, yeah, 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 Um, that would be yeah. We always kind of have that as a background thing, but I think this would be a really good time if if people that are yeah are are Australian listeners or just people that know that system or have had similar experiences coming from other countries have you know if there are things we should have said but didn't if there are things we're wrong about or just things to add um uh you know you can tweet it you can if you if you have longer thoughts you can email us and and uh um you know we could if we get those we could summarize them on a future episode but um but thank you unsure antipodean for your letter we we do appreciate the question um and your trust in us even if it's misplaced <laughs> um, and uh yeah if you're listening and and you also want to have misplaced trust in us to answer your questions you can email us at letters at the um 
We are on Twitter at BlackGoatPod. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash BlackGoatPod. We're on Instagram, instagram.com slash BlackGoatPod. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. Um, I actually just submitted us to Spotify, so we might be on Spotify soon, too. I don't know what these no words you're saying are. What exactly. is Stitcher? These are, these are, <laughs> Stitcher is, is a, a, an app and a service for listening to, to podcasts. Cool. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so these are different ways. I think iTunes is probably the largest way people listen to podcasts, but we're trying to be everywhere. So uh, if there's a place to listen to podcasts that we're not on, that that you normally listen to podcasts on, uh, tell us and we'll see if we can get on it. Um, And thank you listeners for um, for listening. Um, So our main topic today is uh, we wanted to talk about uh, talking to strangers and which is something that you have to do a lot in academic settings. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all just got back from, I was just at two conferences in a row. You meet a lot of new people, something you have to do when you're on the job market. It's also just something that happens in life outside of academic circles. You know, most people have lives where at least once in a while they meet new people. Um, and so specifically, like the issues of being a, an academic, a psychologist uh, um, in, in all those different settings. Uh, how do you talk to strangers? And, and starting point uh, um, that, that Samin brought up when we were preparing for the show is just literally, how do you start a conversation with a new person? Like, what And do you just say? for background, Alexa and I, Alexa has tutored me in this for many, many years. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't know Alexa offered lessons. I'm she's, have the, to, she's a world expert. I, okay, like we would have literally have conversations where I'd be like, okay, so then what do I say? And then, no, but like, <laughs> what words do I use? And then what if they say this, then what do I say? I, I, I used to be that way. Uh, I was, I was, I was a late bloomer with dating wise. And I had huge anxiety about like, asking people out on dates and uh i was i was i was that way about like dating anyway yeah. let's not go there um, <laughs> i think we should go there actually, funnily but, i'm well, like not at all scared episode. of asking someone out on a date but talking to somebody for no not for any particular goal oh my god i'm terrible like just making chit chat or like yeah just starting a okay so alexa so, give us give us the like us the pitch do. for your online tutoring service <laughs> i was thinking when i read this question i remember like specific conversations that samin's referring to her she was like how do you how do you let someone know that you like them <laughs> like in a conversation what kinds of things do you do um but um i was thinking yeah when i read the question like how do you start a conversation with a new person at first i was like i think i'm rarely in situations where I decide like, okay, I'm going to talk to a new person now and then like think about what to say. Um, Usually I think I do start conversations with new people often, but it's usually because like I have an extremely low bar for starting a conversation with a stranger. So like I'll like notice that someone like ordered the same drink as me and I'll be like, do you like that? Or like I'll just like I don't think that those situations are often that planned. but I recently you said just say whatever is in your head and I was like there is nothing in my head <laughs> like, tell me what to say I'm so with you Samin on this this is just like Alexa's just talking about this like like it just happens yeah. I'm like no it doesn't <laughs> but this, this, those are situations where there's no pressure because it's not like I, it's not like I'm trying to start a conversation with a person I'm just like oh I had a thought and you're standing next to me I'm gonna verbalize <laughs> it to you um I did, like, recent, when we were at SIPS, there were situations where I was like, I should try to get to know some new people, and so I'm going to deliberately, like, choose a stranger and go to them and start a conversation. And so I think 
I think I ended up saying I was with Jenny and we decided to start a conversation with people that we didn't know. And so we just ended up going to a group of people and saying, I think I said, hey, we decided that we would talk to some strangers and we chose you because you're very tall Uh, (laughs) and we could see you from across the room. But I think, I mean, I guess like, I guess I think that it doesn't really matter what you say. Like you could, yeah. Maybe but you have to you say something. Say that would which really is the problem. Mess it up, but yeah. probably like I'm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that person was also like, "What an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel like Alexa, you're you're so like charming and disarming. That I I just I feel like if I did this, I would <laughs> fuck it up so badly. <laughs> I'd be like, I would I would be like, okay, Alexa did that thing, so I'm gonna do that thing. And I'd walk up to someone and I'd be like, hey. Uh, I I thought I'd talk to you because you have a big zit on your nose. You know, I would just like I would pick the worst possible thing. And no, just, you like, wouldn't. Be an asshole about it. I would go up to them and I would say nothing, and in my head I would think that I'm talking, but I would just be completely silent. That sounds super realistic. <laughs> yeah, the way the way I start conversations with new people is by a hundred percent of the time guessing wrong whether i've met them before um so like i'll i'll walk up to someone oh hey it's nice to meet you oh yeah we met four years ago don't you remember i'm like oh no because i'm a fucking asshole or you know i'll, uh-huh. I'll walk up to someone and, and i'll be like hey weren't you at that thing three years ago i remember you and they're like no i wasn't at that thing who are you mm-hmm. you know and and so that's i just like i have a i have a like a knack for getting that wrong no matter which direction it goes mm-hmm. well okay so you guys are acting like you are like <laughs> totally incompetent at this, but I feel like you do meet people. Okay, so what were you doing at Sips? I feel like you guys talk to strangers. Do they just approach you? You just I don't, like sit I, back. And I wait wish I had talked to you? more people I didn't know at Sips. Like this is one of the reasons I suggested this topic for the podcast because I really suck at it, and it used to happen anyway. But now I think that I'm less approachable, and so I need to learn how to do this because I think there's more burden on me to be the one to start the conversation. I do feel yeah. like a place at, like at a place like sips, I feel some responsibility. So, so normally I think that like, I do find it hard to decide, okay, I'm going to go talk to a stranger and then to come up with something to say. And to, um, but also I can't I think bring my sips, dog. I feel like I should. Sips. That's usually my way. In oh, with yeah. strangers. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I mean, that's a good strategy. Get a dog. Yeah. That might be the I answer. I have to think about that for next year. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, this is the thing about, it was true about SIPs, but I think this is true of a lot of settings, like conferences and, and other sort of professional settings, which is that there's a lot of potential out there because there's a lot of really interesting people doing really cool stuff. So there's, like, a good reason to want to. And, and yeah, like, I feel it's, it's a, a different dilemma. Like, earlier in my career, you know, when I was a grad student or early career person, and I felt like a nobody and... and you know, like, who am I to go talk to this person? And now, like, I'm older and further along in my career, and especially being at SIPS, where it's like I'm the president of the society, so I have this, and you know, and I'm visible on Twitter and whatever, and, and so, you know, people sometimes know who I am. And I, I feel like that might be a barrier to them having a conversation with me, and I want to figure out ways to, to be like, no, we can just talk, like, i Maybe you have I need something to really interesting write to say, on but my I don't name know how to tag. start that. Yeah, like, I'm sure <laughs> my name tag, like, ask me about Hugo yeah. or ask me about... Ask me about my dog. Yeah. So that, okay, so that's another thing, um, which is, I feel like when when you do have those 
conversations, there's like a default set of academic small talk questions, which can be interesting. Um, so they're not pure small talk, but like the what do you do or the what are you working on, which yeah. sometimes can spin into really interesting conversations and sometimes just feel like going through the motions. Um, For sure. and, and often I don't know when I start uh, where it's going to end up. And it's not just about the other person. I feel like I do better at those sometimes than others but like I mean one thing you know one thing that I I've done and and that I encourage my own students to do and and that's good advice I got years ago that I think is worth sharing is to actually like plan and practice your answers to those questions because they're Mm -hmm. so common and you know as this is especially the case like if you're networking if you're going to be on the job market or whatever is like if someone says what do you do you should have a one sentence answer, a one paragraph answer, and like a five minute answer. And obviously you don't have to like literally have memorized word for word the five minute answer. You probably do want to write and actually literally memorize your one sentence answer so that it just rolls off your tongue when you meet somebody. Because that's such a like important basic networking thing that happens when you're at conferences and you're at a social event and and you know your advisor or your friend goes oh have you met so-and-so and, and oh, oh cool nice to meet you what do you do you know um so that that's one concrete piece of advice i guess i would have for people but like how do, how do you guys handle those uh um uh those sort of those kind of standard questions i wish you, you had given me this advice earlier because i feel like <laughs> I actually, I feel like I fumble those kinds of questions all the time. Like, I don't always feel like I have a good answer. I should, I, I should literally write it out. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's what, like, writing a research statement for jobs is, right? Especially the first sentence and the first paragraph is, like, how do I distill my essence into uh, mm-hmm. a very short um, catchphrase, basically. So I think, yeah, earlier in my career, I think I did have a, like, maybe not explicitly practiced answer, but I think I was thinking about it enough that I would consistently say the same thing and was ready for it. Now I find it harder because now I think I have more roles and so it depends a lot on the context. So someone might be asking like, who are you in the sense of like, what's your substantive research on? Or they might be asking like, yeah, I don't know what roles, Mm -hmm. what role are you in at this meeting or things like that. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, so you're talking about like the, the different kinds of answers in terms of like length and where you want the conversation to go, I think. And I, th- I find that those conversations can be a bit more interesting if you, I guess like I've found that if I've answered with like a specific thing that I mm. am like working on and interested in talking about, um, as opposed to like trying that's to give idea. an overview. Yeah. Um, yeah. Answer with something you actually want to talk about. Yeah. That's a good yeah. idea. I also like when I'm curious to know what things people are like have dilemmas about or are debating or things like that so like more than like what they have already done I'm like curious about like yeah what they're considering doing next and what the pros and cons are or things like that I think that's a more interesting conversation like hearing other people's perspectives on how they choose to spend their Mm -hmm. their research time or their work time sometimes I try to avoid those kinds of questions at conferences um because they're so like so common and they I think can be, they of, can get kind of boring yeah, yeah. Um, but first of all it's hard because like it's hard to like come up with something interesting to say every time you talk to a person um, but also then I think like maybe you end up avoiding talking to people about research if you like stay away from the boring questions which is not really what I'm going for 
Something that people ask at conferences all the time that I do too, that is the most boring question is like, well, when did you get in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been here for? But it's so hard to not do that because. How was, how was your plane trip? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes um, there are interesting answers, but. I mean, I, th- I feel like this is this is like probably a general conversational good thing. And I, I forget it all the time, too, because when you're tired, you go you fall into these default questions. Right. But like being s- specific. So, you know, one thing at a conference is if there are like and this is one of the one of the, I think, underappreciated benefits of like plenary keynote talks is if everybody mm-hmm. has actually yeah. gone to it, you yeah. know, sometimes, you, you know, you can be like, oh, what? although you want to be careful <laughs> if you're like, if, you're, if, if your answer to what did you think of the keynote when they ask you is going to be it was shit, you want to be a little careful with a stranger, but like, you know, or, or something like, oh, did you, you know, did you go to the aquarium trip the first night or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. like if there's something, so like picking something specific, at, it, this is like at, at a I'm giving conference examples, but in whatever setting you're meeting the person, if there's something about the setting that you're likely to have had a shared experience that that's very specific, that can be a good thing to sort of start, mm-hmm. especially if you think you have something interesting to say or if you just think it was an interesting enough event to talk about. Um, mm. that, that's, that seems like one hook. And often those are, and then the same thing with the like, what do you do? is and I again I I fall into this sometimes where I feel like I'm supposed to tell somebody everything but like like you were saying um you know picking and maybe you can do that a little bit you can say oh I do you know I do some lifespan development I do some interpersonal perception one thing I'm working on right now that's really interesting is so just like give the really short like kind of keyword overview but then then you know and don't spend a long time but like immediately go into like one thing that you think this person that you're interested in talking about that you think might be interesting for somebody else i have to say that when someone asks me like what are you most excited about that you're working on or something like that i feel so much pressure because then i'm like (laughs) yeah i don't know yeah it it is a tough like most excited about if you actually take that literally feels like a high bar yeah yeah (laughs) yeah like I, I love all my projects yeah, equally yeah, yeah. Or, or I I hate all my projects equally yeah. you know, sometimes sometimes it's both there's so many questions like that that make me freeze or like even when people yeah. I know ask me what's new in your life and I'm like nothing like nothing has happened in my life and then it could be that like I'm moving to Australia and this and this and this but I'm just immediately yeah. like nothing's new uh I just like try to think about like what I had for breakfast that's new in my life but for a while I start so trying to, to instead of asking people what's new because that is like the most common answer I think I ask people what's new a lot and the most common answer is like nothing and it's just like a it's not true (laughs) a lame way to start a conversation because like yeah usually it's not true and it like makes it seem like like it puts them in a position where they sound like they're saying like their life is boring or whatever um and for a while I tried to, to ask people like like what's on your mind yeah. <laughs> which is just like kind of corny but like that is usually what I want to know like yeah. what, what have you been like thinking about yeah I feel like there there like there's definitely an okay version of that but that's also the like the bad 19 year old dating question <laughs> yeah. what, are you, what are you thinking right now yeah right. <laughs> oh kill me now <laughs> that's what I'm thinking <laughs> kill me because you just asked me that question I love uh, when people ask me what are you thinking <laughs> 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 really don't like that i mean i know what you mean of course like if you're i think you know sometimes people ask it when you like seem like you're in a bad mood or something like that and they're like want you to explain yourself but well and i i have 
whatever the the men's version of resting bitch face is. So like, I think I just look mad. It would be so funny to go up to a stranger you don't know and just be like, "What are you thinking right now?" So, so what are what are some other kinds of questions that you can ask at uh, well, and, and you know, conferences I mean, themselves, but also like social. I mean, I guess like current events in the field. Oh, that's kind of hard sometimes to be. Like, one lesson I've learned yeah. from Alexa is that I think most people want things to get more deep faster than most conversations go, and you have to be a little bit careful, and you have to like read the cues and stuff. But I do think mm-hmm. a lot of times both people in a conversation stay on safe ground and actually both would have liked to talk about something more interesting, not necessarily more personal. I think that there's a lot of differences about that, but at least more, yeah, like um, deeper or more substantive. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think um, you can do that sort of substantive academically, or you can do that personally. And in both cases, it, feel like you don't want to dominate the conversation but sometimes leading yeah. like with disclosure can be a good way to because then you're yeah people you risk someone becoming defensive if they feel like you're probing and so if you like I, this is another interesting I don't do this a lot but an, an interesting way to have a conversation with another academic is to ask their view on a problem you're trying to solve yeah. and stuck yeah. on yeah. you can say like you know, I got this really weird finding in this study I was just doing, and I'm curious what you think of it. Yeah. Like that, that's yeah. like that 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 makes someone feel wanted. Like you're interested in them for their for something that they value about themselves, which is their intellect. And and you know, and I think you can do that sometimes. You don't want to be like the like oversharer, but you can do that on a personal level too, or or just say like I had this weird experience, or I had this interesting thing happen to me. I'm curious what you think mm-hmm. of it. Um, if you're, you know, if you don't go too off the rails with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even like relatively small things, like I'm thinking about going to this conference, you know, do, have you ever been, or do you know anyone who's been, or what do you think about com- going to conferences in general? Or I don't know. I think in general, mm-hmm. if you're, if you have an open question that you can see multiple sides of that leads to a more interesting conversation than like, here's a fact that I learned from my research or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the hard part about a lot of these is that they are more specific and that's why we fall on the, I feel like for me, the psychology of the like bad small talk question is like, I, I have this sort of on some semi-conscious level, a desire to converse or connect, but I'm tired or I'm not thinking, or it just takes a lot of cognitive work to come up with a good question. And so it's just like habit, like, Oh, how was your day? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how's your trip in? Or, you know, those kind of things. And so it's it's like it's coming from a good place a lot of times mm-hmm. when people do that. Um, but then, yeah, you often get stuck in these small talky. And especially when someone starts to answer in great detail about <laughs> yeah. like, all the connections they had on their flight yeah, to the yeah. place you're in because yeah. they took you seriously. Yeah. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, no, now we're stuck yeah. on this for 10 minutes. Yeah, That's how I feel yeah. at poster sessions. Like a lot of times that's a great way to strike up a conversation with someone because that's what you're supposed to do at poster sessions. But often I really want to know more about the person than about the stuff on their poster. So like, I'm curious about what else they're working on besides what's on their poster or like what they want to do next or things like that. But they've been told that they should have a like three minute spiel ready. And then I'm just like, by the end of that, I'm like, uh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, how would you get interested in that is is often a good question. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. a good way to, and I, I don't, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like it's, at posters, it's hard. Maybe this is why 
people need to need to do better posters because it feels weird to ask how'd you get into that before you understand what that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if there's a better poster, you're like, whoa, you're studying blah blah blah. How'd you get interested in that? Mm-hmm. Like that. May, so maybe okay, that's another reason to do the better poster. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you how do you two deal with these kinds of things outside of academia, especially so so with with people who aren't academics who aren't other professors, but when something about the context makes your academic work relevant. So like someone asks, what do you do? Or, you know, or they they hear, you know, the person introducing you is like, oh, Samin was just in the Netherlands for a conference. They're like, oh, tell me about her or whatever. Like, how do you, how do you approach like talking to new people, talking to strangers about your work or being an academic or, and, and when, when do you avoid it? I mean, I think everyone has stories of like, you know, there's the cliche, like, are you analyzing me or mm-hmm. all those other kind of things? Yeah, I would say that I, it depends on like, if I want to actually have a conversation with somebody or not. Like, if I, if I think that it would be fun to like, actually have a real conversation about my like work with someone that I might like bring up that topic. But otherwise, I think I tend to stay away from like talking about being a psychologist because the like, the short version of that conversation is usually like, I mean, probably like most conversations about your profession is a pretty boring, you know, it's like, oh, you know, so you're reading my mind or like, oh, like I have an uncle or whatever. And then you like sort of, maybe you like clarify like, oh, I'm not that kind of psychologist or like, I'm, you know, and it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, again, to the extent that like you, there's like something specific like in a project that you're working on or that like something that, yeah, I don't know, like you, with like, so I mean, like you could just like mention to a stranger like that, I don't know, that you're starting to like publicly post your, maybe that's too much, but well, you know what I mean? Like I mean, it's funny because like right after we get off the podcast, I'm going to the gym and I want to make it very clear that this is like the third time in 2019 that I'm going to the gym. So like, don't get any wrong ideas. But I was thinking about wearing my <laughs> Sips shirt because like sometimes I struggle to find things to talk about with the person who teaches the, the group class that I do. And so like she'll ask me questions and I'll just give like one word answers. And so maybe if I'm wearing my Sips shirt, she'll ask me about that. And I feel like that's compared to when I used to only have my personality stuff to talk about where yeah that people like talking about personality but I feel like they immediately think I know way more about or that that there is way more to know from a scientific perspective about like self-knowledge or whatever Mm -hmm. so now I don't talk about that I don't tell people that I study self-knowledge or even personality because I feel like it leads to major disappointment that I don't know the answers to the questions they want but with SIPs and with replicability and stuff like that I find that's so easy I feel like for people to be like oh yeah like I do sometimes hear the results of like social science studies or they don't say social science but they'll hear like you know results of studies and they seem to change all the time and they contradict each other and stuff like that and so I think that's a fun thing to talk to people about about like how do we make science better especially in these areas that are really messy and complicated and how do we not oversell and like yeah a lot of the stuff you hear is way overhyped and that feeling you have that it might be is true Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I find it one of the challenges. If if I think someone might be interested in hearing about what I actually do, one of the challenges for me is finding the right level of complexity and and sort of technicality to talk about it. Because being a personality in social psychology, there's a 
there's an everyday language for talking about what I do that uh, dumbs it down is the wrong word because it's not dumbing it down but it like if I try if I put it in too plain of language like if I say I study how people form impressions of each other um, which is often how I'll sort of translate interpersonal perception and they they then you know weird things will happen sometimes they'll they'll think they already know the answers to anything I might have and they'll just start telling me their opinions of whatever it is they think I study or sometimes they'll you know if they don't know much about academic psychology research they won't realize kind of that doesn't actually tell them very much about what we actually do um, because a lot of my work has a pretty complex like quantitative modeling component to it and what we're doing is putting people in you know, laboratory or field settings and then like modeling what happens. And, and, and I've had experiences where like I start with the really untechnical plain language version and then somehow it gets to that stuff and they actually get more interested in that because maybe yeah. they have a technical background or maybe it's just like, oh, that's not, that's not as like simple as, as you made it sound the first time or whatever. So, but then, it, you know, there's obviously a problem that if you start with like a really technical or jargony description, you're just going to turn people outside the field off because they're not going to know what you're talking about um so I, I i i think i have a harder time talking to like i try and i've tried different versions of it and, and i'll sort of experiment with it when i meet new people but sort of hitting that right kind of balance of not making it sound too obvious but also not making it sound just inaccessible mm-hmm. how do you uh I can't answer this because I've been in a committed monogamous relationship for two decades, but how do you do this on dates? Um, how, like, when when you're on a date and somebody's asking, because curi- I'm curious if you've had this experience. I've definitely heard from women who have PhDs about dates getting defensive or intimidating, in- intimidated um, when they find out that they're dating someone with a PhD. I don't know if that's happened to you or, or, but yeah, how do you, how do you deal with this? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, yeah, like I think Lexamine was saying, I think there's like a way to talk about, um, some of the stuff that we do that's like pretty easy for, um, people to connect to. I also often talk about personality, um, which (laughs) you're co-opting us. Yeah, <laughs> for your dating life. They don't know the difference between a personality researcher and a social psychologist. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't like if somebody asked, like, what do you do? I wouldn't be like, you know, here's the like big five or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I think there's like a version of talking about what like open science or um, research practice. So actually, it was funny, like one of my. Somebody asked me what I did research on in front of another one of my friends who is like not an academic and not in the field. And she's heard me talk about what I do research on. And what she said was like, she does research on researchers. And I was like, oh, that's kind of like, (laughs) I mean, it doesn't like encompass everything, but it's not bad. Um, So I've started to say that now. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, I think that we're in like not a bad position to start talking about the the re- research that we actually do I, I don't get into the weeds all that often um but even like in a big picture sense I think it's like pretty fun to have conversations about people who are not academics or not psychology um in terms of like defensiveness about 
having a PhD? I really don't know. I mean, everybody who I would ever go on a date with would say like that, you know, it's like, would say that they don't have any kind of problem with that and that it's cool and stuff like that. Um, So I think that's true for me too, but I think the kinds of things that people might like give me a hard time about is uh, how much I like my work and how much I enjoy yeah. interacting about work stuff like on Twitter and stuff like that, even on my, in my free time and my mornings and evenings and weekends and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I think I've had some people like react, like it's an unhealthy thing or something like that. And that, that that's the end of that. Like I'm, if there are no other signs that it's unhealthy other than I'm doing it, I'm choosing to do it when I don't have to like tell point to something, some way in which it's impairing my life and then I'll listen. But if you're just saying that, like, it's weird to, like to think and talk about work stuff outside of work hours then we're just too different if if you find that weird um i do think there are unique challenges to being a woman i don't know if it matters if you're dating women or men um but to being a woman who's like quite far along in your professional career um i have an interesting story that's not exactly about being a woman with a phd but about one of the yeah, I hope my partner won't mind telling telling the story. But so my partner is in our field and so knows about stuff I work on and stuff like that. And when I met him, I was pretty sure he was interested in me. Like he was being way too nice to me, but he wouldn't make the first move. And so I was like, what is going on? Am I misreading things? Mm-hmm. And then it occurred to me, I was like, oh, the Todd Heatherton thing. I'm like publicly on the record saying like, this guy grabbed my ass out of the blue. Right. Um, and so then I made the first move. And then later I asked him like, was that like a factor? And he was like, yeah, probably. Um, so that's a unique challenge of being a woman who's come out about sexual harassment. <laughs> like, yeah. Trying to right. Date people totally. who know, know you partly as the person who did that. But I thought that was, he handled it exactly the right way. Like he made it very clear that he was interested and then let me make the next move. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah so there are I mean yeah there I think there are unique challenges especially if you're not just like have a PhD and have a like pretty successful job or whatever but also just have strong opinions and are outspoken about things I think that adds another layer to dating mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people I've only done like the online dating thing for a few months here and there in my life and it's been kind of a train wreck, I would say. Like, that, that was not going to be very likely to work out for me. Um, yeah. And right. it, it, was, it was fun. It wasn't, it wasn't always negative, but it wasn't ever very promising for me. How did we get on this it's, topic? <laughs> yeah. Talking, talking to new people. We're just talking, letting you continue uh, to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking to new people about your work. But please go on. <laughs> tell, us, tell us more about your... You're, you're swiping. Yeah. I can never remember. See, this is how fucking remember. long it, I've been off the... I can never remember which way is left and which way is right, like swiping, like which one means what. According to you, Sanjay, women swipe one direction and men swipe the other <laughs> direction. people in Australia swipe <laughs> one direction. But I can't remember which one. In- <laughs> <laughs> the swipe circle, circle in the other direction. Um, yeah. Uh, do, are all the apps the same direction or is it confusing like if you open one app means good and the other app right means good no i'm serious like do they, do they all the get same. together and decide it's a monopoly to... yeah it must be the same direction that would i feel like we would have surely so they are i don't know for sure but i would yeah. find it very surprising if... but actually i think how we got into dating is like yeah talking to strangers and i do think for me at least like dating was a good way to practice because 
you have to you just have to like find a way to keep a conversation going and stuff like that yeah i think that's something good about dating and something good about online dating is that you like meet people who you wouldn't have otherwise met and so you have to like go about these conversations in a different way than you normally would and people respond in ways that you don't anticipate like Mm -hmm. they like take the conversation in a direction that you're totally not used to um but yeah like it makes i think it makes everything harder um yeah but maybe like in a good practice way so outside of dating and work how often do you guys talk to strangers like do you talk to your taxi driver do you talk to the person at the checkout line like i feel like that's the kind of thing i need to do more of to learn and it would help me at conferences it would help me but i i almost never do and even when they initiate it i don't know how to keep it going so in eugene it is and i'm still not used to this after having lived here for like 15 years it is completely socially acceptable for the person bagging your groceries at the grocery store to be like so you got any plans this weekend <laughs> and my response is always who the fuck are you <laughs> <laughs> like inside my head i never say that none of your fucking like, business like being from new jersey i'm just like what the fuck is this person talking to me about like it, it is like people hear the the sort of like starting up conversations with strangers thing that the norms here are like noticeably different from from where i grew up i i and and sometimes i i just don't want to have that conversation and and i'll be like eh, not much you know or whatever um it is weird to me because it's not like you know there there's like default and i i guess maybe if you grow up here you're from here just like you know how are you there's a def- just people reflexively go fine mm-hmm. no matter what's going on in their life um and maybe people have a like reflexively easy answer to what are you doing this weekend but I don't I take it seriously every time and then I'm like feeling like intruded upon that I'm being asked this um uh yeah no I don't my my life is at a other than those kinds of things like my my life is at a point now where when I'm at home here in Eugene I'm not traveling um outside of work I guess the main way I meet new people is like other parents of kids that go to my son's school or that do activities with him or things like that. And often, yeah, often those just sort of naturally start start off being about kids mm-hmm. um, or about whatever they're doing, you know, we'll, you know, yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like I've, I've fallen into a very boring life. <laughs> I think I talk to strangers quite often um, and the kinds of like situations that Sanjay's describing where it's like somebody at the grocery store and, you know, maybe they they ask me what I'm doing on the weekend or maybe I ask them what they're doing. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it depends on like, so yeah, I might ask like, how's your day going or something? And then sometimes people will give like a real answer to that and like, um, and like I said, I have a very like low bar for saying something to somebody. So I think I think it happens often. Actually, one thing I think would be interesting to talk about is how do you end conversations? Because <laughs> I think often I have like a low bar starting them <laughs> because uh, because there's often an easy out. Like and then so then it feels like not very much of a commitment. Like, you know, if I'm talking to the cashier at the grocery store, like. I don't know if they 
say something that's going to make the conversation go in like a terrible direction or something like that, I can be like, okay. Yeah. I think that's another reason I like poster sessions is because you're expected to move on to another poster. So you don't have to have any other reason than like, okay, I'm going to go look at another poster now. But I, but outside of situations like that, I have a really hard time. And it, it is for me a big reason why I don't start conversations with strangers. Like on planes, the headphones go on right away. I don't make eye contact. I don't encourage conversation. Oh my God. Getting out of a conversation on an airplane is a very mm. challenging. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. it's funny. Like, so what my friend Rima and I were um, traveling in Amsterdam after the conference at, in Rotterdam. And there was this one particular cafe where two times in a row we were like sitting there eating our breakfast and like the dude who happened to be sitting next to us started conversations with us. Um, and that is also, I mean, well, one of those conversations was really annoying and one of them was fine. Um, but it's like impossible to get out of that situation because like basically if you want to get out of that situation, you have to be like, actually like we were having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do want to say I had a really nice conversation on the plane on the way back from ARP with a grad student who happened to be sitting next to me, so I'm not referring to that. In case she's yeah. listening, <laughs> that was very pleasant. Yeah. But yeah, um, that so that's the difficulty, right? Is that sometimes like if you just avoid those things, sometimes you miss out on what would have been a good conversation. I guess like this is the introvert extrovert trade off, mm. right? Where I'm I'm guessing Alexa has a different like judgment threshold for the I mean, cost I and don't benefits. Know. I, but I don't yeah. I don't get myself into situations where I like might have to have a conversation for two hours with someone like or I try not to. That does not sound right. fun to me. Um although I have yeah, had very yeah, nice like conversations if you're gonna be... with people on planes. Right. There, there's the, the extremes of there's like situations where it's normative to move on, like a poster yeah. session. There's situations where maybe physically you're going to be stuck with someone like on a plane. Um, and those are probably, yeah, those for me are the situations where I'm, I'm A, I'm most likely to avoid and B, I also, although even this I have trouble with, but sometimes like I feel like it is a little bit OK to just explicitly be like, you know, uh, um, I had to get up really early and I'm just gonna, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna like close my eyes for a while or, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever, like I think, and, and it sort of varies a little bit, but like, I think some people who, I, I, I feel like I sometimes underestimate like people who talk too much are often more tolerant of people being more direct about ending conversations because that probably happens to them a lot because yeah they're used to it and yeah and may, whether they're self-aware or not about it, it it like it's just something that happens to them more but i i feel so awkward yeah like, okay and, i'm done here. and when i'm thinking about it now i'm now. like i can say i need to go to the bathroom i can say i need to drink of water yeah. i can say and like right now i can think of all those things but when i'm in it i'm like my mind is completely blank and i'm just like what am i gonna do i'm gonna be here forever i'm gonna grow old and die here yeah yeah i've been told that i'm quite blunt with ending the way that I end conversations. I think that I feel like I can just say, maybe not quite this, but like, I'll say things like, all right, I'm going to go. I do that. Um, and I just, mm. I just hope that like, through like my tone and my like facial expression, it won't seem mean. <laughs> yeah, I do that, but I don't have the tone and facial expression that you have. <laughs> yeah. I am done with this conversation. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. I'm gonna go. That's me. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm gonna go. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's a good. Maybe this is a good point to wrap up our conversation. <laughs> I okay. need to go to the bathroom, so <laughs> I have to. I have to go take a dump. So uh, I'll see you guys. Uh, no, that was that was a joke. Um, uh, yeah. 
I feel like I always say like, are we good? Yeah. At the end, are, so are we good? Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe I should try that in real life. Yeah. yeah. Like, this has been fun. Are we good? Because yeah. I'm I'm ready to be done with this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was I was aiming for for you know seven minutes for this conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So we're good. We're good. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thank you everybody uh, who's listening for listening to the Black Coat, and we'll talk to you next time.